0: Hebrews chapter 7, while you're finding your place in the scripture, I'd just like to say what great faith we have around here, as we were singing that first song, when I die, hallelujah by and by, I'll fly away, here I am, a man who can't even jump, (laughs) singing and when I die, I'm going to fly. Wow. What a phenomenal thing God has promised us. Hebrews chapter 7, 1 to 10. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first, being, by interpretation, king of righteousness. And after that also, king of Salem, which is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he, whose descent is not counted, From them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better or the greater. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. And as I may say, or so say, Levi also, who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of Abraham, or in the loins of his father, when Melchizedek met him. Holy Father, this would be a difficult text to think through if it was a bright, sunny day, let alone a day in which it's very gloomy confront not only a certain element of rational and logic that requires a a certain sense of heavy-mindedness, but we also confront something by way of the spectacular nature of thy word as to a perspective that just is so very much unlike anything that any of us would naturally think. And so we pause as we begin to ask help. Help that something of the liberty of thy blessed spirit would be granted to us in communication and in hearing, that the hour might be spent in good profit. Help that we might embrace the truth of thematic presentation concerning the high priesthood of Jesus Christ with a sense of enthusiasm and vigor and understanding something more of the unspeakable gift that we have received in Jesus Christ the Lord. Thank you for the occasion. Bless the people who are here. We pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Most people readily understand that teaching children is a very different thing than teaching adults. Most people would not readily understand that teaching God's people is very different than teaching on believers. One of the unique nuances of the Great Commission in Matthew 28 is that there is a teaching that leads up to salvation, and then there is a second teaching that leads away from salvation, of which the church is given responsibility and authority for both teachings. The teaching that leads to salvation, the teaching that causes us to observe all things whatsoever we are commanded of Christ Jesus our Lord. Two brands of teaching, that which leads to salvation, that which leads away from salvation. Big difference, teaching believers or unbelievers. Most people don't know that. But most believers do not readily understand that teaching the spiritually mature is a very different thing from teaching those that are weak and young in the Lord. Sometimes when you are engaged in preaching ministry, somebody gets the, uh, the idea that you uh, have prepared your sermon with them in mind. I would tell you that generally speaking, among all pastors, that happens far less than what every congregation would ever believe. And as to myself, I would say practically never. I don't pay any attention at all to the ebb and flow of the week or what's happening with you at all when I preach because I figure I'm not smart enough to figure out your life any more than you're smart enough to figure out mine. There is one we know who's smart enough to know everything that's going on with us, who can take the word of God and apply it to all of our lives, and it's not my job to do that. It's not my job to preach to you. It's my job to preach to you. Not my job to preach to you. It's my job to preach to you. And when that's done, what the spirit of God does with it is between you and God, not me and you. Now, there are occasions that we're all human. And I wouldn't say there's never a temptation. But believe me, if I really gave in to temptation, you would know it for sure. <laughs> there would be no doubt in your mind as to what in fact I was doing on that day. But nonetheless, there's a difference between preaching to the mature and preaching to the weak. And I don't even have to worry about that. My commitment is to give the Word of God, period. Believing that the Spirit of God will take the Word of God and apply it to the child of God, wherever the child of God is at, in regards to the process of development. And therefore, even though we call this the instruction hour, I want you to know as your pastor that I'm dependent upon the Holy Spirit to be the instructor. Because I can't do the work that needs to be done in your life. But we all know the one who can. That said, the writer to the Hebrews introduced the subject of a superior priesthood of Jesus Christ as demonstrated in connection to Melchizedek back in chapter 5. But he recognized that in order to make the point that he was going to have to encourage everybody to get on board with this idea of spiritual maturity as an audience. So he took the time and effort, as governed by the Holy Spirit, to appeal for spiritual progression. His desire for all believers has been duly noted, as is summarized in chapter 6, 11, and 12. Just look at it quickly again, chapter 6, 11, and 12. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You and I understand that all Scripture is not equally clear. The Holy Spirit is the author and instructor of the the Scriptures in the life of the believer. If a believer is not spiritually stable and mature, There are things of the Scripture that he will not be able to grasp, especially some of the deep things as indicated in the Scriptures by the Spirit of God. We are by no means talking about some elitist class of believers who plunge the depths of hidden things. The things are not really hidden at all, but they are not grasped without a real sense of dependence upon and cooperation with the Holy Spirit. On one hand, I want to say that this Melchizedek connection is certainly difficult, and as I prayed, humanly difficult on a gloomy day particularly. But the other hand, I want to say that any believer with reasonable intelligence can quickly grasp this marvelous truth if they are maintaining a regular sense of walking with the Lord. But only if you seek the Lord in cooperation, will any truth of the Bible rip your heart and life anew? The primary point that is being made now in chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, constituting the very heart of this letter to the Hebrews has to do with the priesthood of Christ and that it is superior in every way to the Old Testament priesthood of Aaron. The superiority of the priesthood of our Lord Jesus is the exegetical emphasis of chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. And that's why I gave you on your outline today just a little bit of a summary of those chapters, just so that you have the big picture view in mind as we dive into it week by week. Chapter 7, Christ's priesthood is presented in relationship to the order of that priesthood, or the system of that priesthood, and Aaron's system or Aaron's order is held in contract to Melchizedek's order, and uh, Melchizedek has a superior order than uh, the order of Levi. And that's going to be used to point this in the direction of the superiority of, cha- of Jesus Christ. Chapter 8, Christ's priesthood is superior because of the greater contract or covenant. Uh, Aaron operated under the old covenant. Uh, uh, Melchizedek operated neither under the Old Covenant or the New Covenant, but Christ operates under the New Covenant and is therefore highly superior to the Old Covenant. Chapter 9, Christ's functions, or the operation of Christ, is superior because He is actually in the inner sanctum before the throne of God right now and perpetually. As we'll read later in this seventh chapter, He ever lives to make intercession before the throne of God. He doesn't enter into the holy place once a year. He is in the inner sanctum, 24-7, 365, superior as to operation, far superior to the tender tabernacle in which Aaron, as the high priest, functioned on earth. And then chapter 10, Christ offered once and for all a superior sacrifice for sin, This is obviously superior to the repetitious sacrifices that are offered by the Levitical priesthood in anticipation. I don't care how many times we deal with that 10th chapter, it seems like you always have this level of confusion among the people of God. There always, it seems, remain people of our stripe who have the idea that somebody in the Old Testament was saved because they made bloody sacrifices. No one was ever saved by killing animals. Even in killing animals and sacrificing them to God as God prescribed. People in the Old Testament are saved just like people in the New Testament. Saved by faith. The grace of God by faith. Jesus Christ is declared to be of the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 5, verse 10. And again, chapter 6 verse 20. In between 5:10 6:20 is an interlude that is packaged onto the thought of you really need to be serious about progressing in the Lord. But now we pick up at the end of chapter 6 with the reemphasis of the order of Melchizedek. We then introduce chapter 7 where 1 to 10 under the banner of Psalm 110:4 which predicts that the Jewish Messiah would be of this priestly order that predated in time the law given to Moses. Chapter 7, 1 to 10, basically summarizes the truth found in Genesis chapter 14, as previously studied, concerning the man Melchizedek. And as we begin... Uh, the seventh chapter, we're going to see those four tandems of truth, and we'll emphasize those just a little bit here as we work with the opening ten verses of this seventh chapter. But as our way in, I would like us to look at a particular word in verse 3. You have a description of Melchizedek, Melchizedek as being without record of father, without record of mother, without record of genealogy or descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, In record. Was Melchizedek born? Yep. Did Melchizedek die? Yep. Is there any record of it? Nope. But then it says that Melchizedek was, watch this phrase, verse 3, made like unto the Son of God. Who is the Son of God? Jesus, the Son of God. Melchizedek was made like unto the Son of God way, 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 way back then before there was a law, a law that was practiced in the foreshadowing rituals of the tabernacle and temple, that Melchizedek was made like unto the Son of God way, way, way back then so that in the New Testament era you and I could be benefited by a parallelism between Melchizedek, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that parallelism, you and I could come away with a fresh appreciation of the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I chase that word like a little bit as to its other references. Uh, You have in the Old Testament Septuagint, Lot seeing the plain of Jordan, and he likens it, or it is like, uh, in the mind of Lot, Uh, as Eden, the Garden of Eden. And uh, that's the same word that you have for like here in uh, Hebrews 7 and verse 3. You also have the same word for like uh, uh, used in the Greek rendering of the Hebrew Scriptures uh, as it relates to uh, uh, Jacob being dressed by his mother like his brother Esau. And so you get that idea of the use here. It's very common. It's very uh, similar to the English use of the word like uh, in uh, that sense and, and was used in the story, the Old Testament story of Esau and uh, Jacob's deception of Isaac uh, in regards to uh, uh, that element of inheritance. And uh, uh, interestingly, uh, that's the sa- this word like here in 7.3 in is the same word that depicts the Holy Spirit, like, a dove out of heaven Then say he was a dove. He is like a dove. Uh, And uh, that's an important thing. And then one more reference in the New Testament just to give you the idea of the zone of this word like. uh, Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites when you pray. Because the hypocrites were all worried about what kind of words they could come up that sounded good to other people's ears rather than praying from their heart to God. I can't help but think of how many Baptist people I know that have worried about how they're going to sound when they pray before others. What a foolish thing. What a foolish thing. Here's what your Lord says about that. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't worry about fancy words when you pray. Just open your heart to God and talk to Him. How about that? How about that? Now, when you put those things together, you come back to the idea of these parallelisms that are mentioned uh, and we noted in Genesis chapter 14 and that then uh, flow uh, uh, Hebrews 7, 2, 3, 4, right in that area. And uh, here they are. Uh, Melchizedek, uh, uh, his name Melchizedek uh, refers to both one who is a king and a priest. And then the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is the ultimate king and priest. And then Melchizedek was, the, was uh, uh, a man who stood for righteousness and peace. And uh, and indeed, Jesus is the ultimate sense of righteousness and peace. And then uh, uh, Melchizedek blessed people and received tithes. And uh, Jesus blesses people and receives all things as inheritance from God the Father. And then, uh, uh, as the record, Melchizedek had no recorded beginning and no end. And, of course, the Lord Jesus, while he was born, that was not his beginning. And his death was not his end. And so you have this phenomenal sense of that math sign. Uh, looks like a V on the side. means greater than. And, uh, and the whole premise of this seventh chapter is, is that uh, uh, Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. And that's laid out there. Let me just take one more run quick uh, through those things. Melchizedek is unique in that he was both a king and a priest. He was king of the ancient city of Jerusalem. He was priest of El Elyon, the most high God. Likewise, Jesus Christ is unique in that he is both king and priest. And you have uh, a phenomenal sense of of emphasis uh, relative to that reality uh, that uh, really uh, develops Right in the very beginning of the whole book of Hebrews, we started out by making emphasis on the fact that Christ was the ultimate prophet or spokesman of God, and that spoke fully and finally of the person of Jesus Christ. And now by the time that you come to this seventh chapter, you have all three of the prophetic offices of which we referenced in the hour prior to this uh, coming to point of emphasis of the Lord being the capital P prophet, the capital P priest, and the capital Key king. Uh, this section cultivates that idea and logic of the Lord's priesthood. The emphasis of chapter 7, 8, 9, 10 is all upon the Lord's priesthood. The name Melchizedek means righteous king, and he is declared to be the king of Salem or the place of peace. And you understand those kind of analogies that are well-established themes running throughout uh, Scripture in relationship uh, to Messiah, can't help but think of Psalm 85.10 that talks about the fact that in Messiah uh, that righteousness and peace will kiss each other. And so we see Christ as the kiss of righteousness and peace. The Father's full sense of mercy and truth are fully satisfied uh, in Jesus Christ as foreshadowed in the man, Melchizedek. Melchizedek had the authority both to bless Abraham and to receive from him a tithe of the spoil uh, from battle. Melchizedek was greater than Allah Abraham as to roll. You may recall that in our day, the Lord's earthly life, when he was directly asked, are you greater than our father Abraham? And Jesus answered that Abraham, quote, rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. End quote. Jesus is greater than Abraham. John eight, fifty-three to fifty-six. No Jewish person would have ever considered Aaron to be greater than Abraham, but Melchizedek was considered greater than Abraham, and Jesus is greater than Abraham than Melchizedek. Unlike the elaborate records that kept uh, tribal and family descendants clear and delineated as required in the law for service of the priesthood under Aaron, Melchizedek, with no human record of father or mother or descendant, uh, was indeed priest of the Most High God. The words, without descent, verse 3, without father, without mother, without descent— Do not indicate that Melchizedek was a pre incarnate manifestation of the ever living God, the Son, but rather that there is no record of Mel's genealogy in Scripture or in the annals of history. And of course, that too foreshadows Christ. Now, you will read commentaries that will take the unusual description of Melchizedek as described here in Hebrews chapter 7 and will build a case and an argument for the fact that somehow that uh, Melchizedek was a uh, pre-incarnate manifestation of uh, God the Son. And yet, I would call you back to the plain word of the Scripture, L-I-K-E. Melchizedek was made like as the Son of God. Melchizedek foreshadows Christ. Some of the more particular scholars uh, include and keep Melchizedek in the list of types? Some don't. I would, because of his New Testament referencing. In other words, Melchizedek is a type of Christ, for those of you that are familiar with that particular language. But when you put the truths of Melchizedek and Christ together, as we have it uh, delineated for us here in chapter uh, 7, 1, 2, 3, and going 4, 5, and beyond... There really are three things, three truths of Christ that are brought to bear and let me just reference them for our understanding. Three blessed characteristics of our Savior and High Priest that flow out of this uh, phenomenal rationale and logic uh, that begins here concerning Christ and Melchizedek in Hebrews chapter 7. The first characteristic is eternality. Christ is eternal. Eternality as a concept going back, uh, thinking about it in the present, and thinking about it forward, is only true of one. Eternality back, around, forever, is only true of one, and that one is God. And so, by the high priestly comparison between Melchizedek and Jesus Christ, you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, gain a greater understanding, a greater appreciation of the eternality of God the Son. Jesus is God without beginning and without end. He is Alpha and Omega. Melchizedek pictures and foreshadows this truth in the Old Testament description of Him. The fact of the eternality of Christ is uh, really not crystal clear in the Bible reader's mind until It's established in the New Testament gospel presentation, particularly as we read this morning in John chapter 1, 1 to 4. We introduced our scripture reading portion in the previous hour this morning with reference to the presentation of the eternality of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ ever lives because he ever lived. He ever lives now to make intercession for us. The eternality of Christ. Now, you and I talk about eternal life, and that'll be true for us going forward, who have put faith in Jesus Christ. We possess eternal life now by faith in Jesus Christ and forever, but I'm not eternal going back. That's only true of God, and that is true of God the Son, Jesus Christ. One of the big things is eternality. The second of the big things is ethnicity ethnicity under the law was exclusive in other words israel was the focus of god's favor under the law the priesthood under the law was established for the jewish people the rest of people seemed to be excluded But since Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek and Melchizedek was not Jewish, then our Lord's priesthood focuses favor on all men. That's huge. That's huge. That's huge. Jewish people are those that are born of the loins of Abraham. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Melchizedek wasn't Jewish. That's huge. First word, eternality. Second word, ethnicity. Third word, effectiveness. Effective. The Old Testament priest was limited and inadequate to produce in man that which Holy God required. But in Christ, we find perfection required of God and associated with us in our accounts before God by faith in Jesus Christ. I think it's so important just to constantly remind ourselves of that element of the effectiveness of Christ as it is communicated in the Scriptures. Uh, Turn back just a few pages to Romans chapter 8 and look with me again at the expression of that effectiveness of Christ in contrast to uh, the ineffectiveness of the law uh, in Romans chapter uh, uh, 8. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. Human sinful flesh could not perform the law perfectly. Therefore, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. He who had no sin became sin for us That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's what is the effectiveness of Jesus Christ as our great high priest. That everything the law depicts by way of perfection, everything the law depicts by way of holiness. I think you've heard some things about that on Sunday night for a while. That everything that the law predicts by nature of the perfections and the demand of God are met perfectly in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King, our Prophet, and our High Priest, who's not after the order of Aaron, but is after the order of... Melchizedek. Now, there's a command in our text, and it's one of those things that by the time you get to it, your mind is already going whoa, 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 and trying to follow the logic here, that you might miss it. But it's found in verse 4. Now, consider how great this man was. What man? Melchizedek. How many times have I woke up in the morning and thought, I think today for devotions, I'll just meditate on the greatness of Melchizedek. (laughs) Like, never! You go into a room of people and you say, name me the great people of the Bible. Abraham, Moses, somebody will say Joseph, somebody will say David. You might get a major prophet in there like Isaiah or Jeremiah, but, you know, And in the New Testament, you'll hear about John and you'll hear about Paul. But uh, very few people, when prompted in a Sunday school class, will come up with the great man, Melchizedek. And yet the Bible says to consider, to give earnest attention, to give diligent study to the man, Melchizedek, unto whom, Melchizedek, Even the patriarch Abraham, the man of promise, gave a tenth of his spoils. Abraham, the great man of God's promise, paid tithes to Melchizedek. Melchizedek was greater as to rule, in that he received tithes (laughs) from Father Abraham. Verse 5, And verily they that are of the sons of Levi. Okay, now we're talking about sons of Levi. You got Abraham, you got Isaac, you got Jacob, and after uh, the birth of uh, of at least uh, two, three others, maybe four others, I think Levi's number five, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I'm guessing. Don't hold me to that. Uh, But uh, uh, nonetheless, uh, you have uh, Abraham as the man of promise, Isaac is the son of promise, Jacob is the son of promise, and then of the 12 tribes, you have Levi designated as the tribe that is going to work. Uh, in priestly duties, under the law. Okay, back to verse 5. And verily, truly, they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of a priesthood, the office of a priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. So... The logic is here. Levi is a tribe that was designated the responsibility to receive of the other uh, sons of Abraham their tithes, their gifts to God in worship. And uh, and, uh, Levi received them from their brethren uh, under the order of God, uh, even though Levi and all the sons of Levi, uh, they were Jewish too. Verse 6, but he whose descent is not counted, or accounted, or if you will, whose genealogy is not recorded, from them, from whom? From them. The pronoun them, it's antecedent, goes back to uh, sons of Levi. From them received tithes of Abraham. And blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, less is blessed of the better. Got that part? And here men die, and here men that die, sons of Levi, receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. Huh? And as I may so say, I wish you would for my sake. Levi also, who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. Holy macaroni! There's no such thing. Unless it's my macaroni. And that means you can't have any. And then it'd be holy unto me. (laughs) But nonetheless, here is something that I'm telling you I would have never thought of. Here is something that you would have never thought of. Here is something. I read this and I thought, if, if anybody believes that somebody on earth wrote this Bible besides God prompting him, I'm telling you, where did that guy's mind go? Abraham had an interaction with Melchizedek. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek before there was an Isaac, before there was a Jacob, before there was a Levi. But the Bible says that in essence, Levi, through the loins of Abraham, paid tithes to Melchizedek. Like it's almost as if God knew there'd be a Levi. It's as if God knows the end. As well as the beginning. And that he accounts the totality of what he has done by the grace of his own life and heart towards man. In the whole. As being a part of the thing. The saving thing. The redemption of mankind. God's word says in this text that Levi who wasn't even a glimmer in the eye of his mother and dad, paid tithes to Melchizedek through his great-great-great-grandfather, Abraham. Who could know that but God? And on that basis, this passage says to us, See? This uh, Melchizedek is really quite a guy, and thereby, back to verse 4, you ought to consider how great Melchizedek was, you ought to consider his greatness in the Old Testament record of God's promise because in the consideration of the greatness of Melchizedek, you will underscore, underscore the far greater person and work of Jesus Christ. And so I would summarize verses 5 to 10 like this. Melchizedek's greatness is perceived in that Abraham paid him tithes. All the priests under the law of God were in fact descendants of Abraham who collected tithes of the Jewish nation. And so, as verse 9 and 10 say it, Melchizedek was great. And on that basis, you and I are to understand that Jesus is greatest. Greatest. The greatest. Do you know him? You know the greatest. Do you love him? You love the greatest. Do you serve him? You serve the greatest. Do you worship him this morning? You worship the greatest. Father, this last week we read in the Word, the declaration of David, that you are great and greatly to be praised, that your greatness is unsearchable. We read that text in preparation for this coming Wednesday night. We often think about your greatness. And there's a sense in which we do associate that greatness often with Jesus Christ. Yet passages of scripture like the one we've studied this morning prompt our hearts to be reminded, not enough. Not enough do we consider thy greatness. Not enough do we consider the greatness of Christ. Our great high priest. Our coming king. Who has placed the ever living word in our hands. May Christ be the focus of our talk, may Christ be the energy of our walk, and may this week there be something of Christ seen in us as we navigate the paths of life that are placed before us according to providence. Thank you for each one that is here to hear bless your people this morning, we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.